Welcome back, folks. Uh, Greg Sildman here for CIOs and Bowties. Uh, on the line, we've got Fraser Rice with uh, Wealth Actually, I think is uh, your, your, main gnome, uh, your, main, uh, your main brand. A great book that Fraser, Fraser wrote. Uh, well, that's probably going on maybe two years now, Fraser. Two uh, years. Some two years, yeah. Time flies. And it's, it's essentially uh, a book about how um, you know, wealthy families and individuals uh, and uh, deal with estate, trust, trust, tax planning, et cetera. Um, it's wealth, actually, and I highly recommend it. I have, I have read it. It's been a while. It's been two years since I read it. Uh, and, of course, we go back to the Wilmington Trust days, so, so that's all great. In the first section, uh, phrase, you really set up for us what kind of the macro um, conditions look like from a tax planning point of view going into next year, deficits, deficits everywhere, COVID, higher tax rates in higher tax jurisdictions, et cetera. Let's use this part now just to talk more about the tax planning side of things. So you term it kind of the usual suspect. So maybe just lay up for us a few examples, if you will, of, of uh, 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 a few scenarios of what people are going through, how they should think about it, and what tools they have in the in the armory to deal with them from a tax planning perspective. Sure. Uh, so I'm going to divide things into two components. There. The first is income tax planning uh, or income slash mm -hmm. capital gains tax planning. And then the second part will be estate tax planning, uh, which is a different tax and much more of an intergenerational uh, discussion. But from uh, an income tax planning perspective, again, we, we talked about it before. No question that uh, the threat of income taxes increasing is coming across uh, in a big way. Uh, there's some usual suspects uh, and tools at your disposal to think about if you think that your tax rate is going to be higher next year than it is this year. And it's my thesis that for many people, it probably is. Mm -hmm. uh, the first one is uh, in looking at your affairs, the concept of accelerating your income into uh, 2020 as opposed to 2021. Uh, so if you have the ability to take more income now and pay a lower tax rate on it, then, uh, then you will be next year. Uh, that's something that I would consider doing if you have control over your affairs in such a way. Uh, so if you have uh, different liquidity events or different things happening, it might behoove you to sort of move uh, move more of that into this year uh, as opposed to next year if you think that income tax rates are going to go up. And so that's a discussion many people are going to be having with their uh, tax advisors. Uh, I think I would say they should start having it now. But uh, mm. as, as we get closer, certainly to the election, once the election happens, I think there's going to be a huge crush of people going to their advisors uh, because there's going to be a little bit more certainty around what is happening uh, with the tax environment, but that acceleration of income into this year uh, is a tool to think about. Uh, I think uh, the idea of uh, taking traditional IRAs and converting them to Roths, uh, that has always been a popular component. Essentially what you do is you pay the tax on your IRA and convert it to a Roth um, basically so that uh, your pre-tax contributions turn into uh, post-tax um, uh, post-tax re receipts uh, uh, at a lower tax rate later. And so if you do the math, um, and again, this is to be done with a tax advisor, if you pay the tax on the IRA distribution now to essentially transfer it into a Roth IRA, there might be a little bit of arbitrage there. Uh, either way, you know, sort of taking advantage of that tax-free 
uh, gain the tax-free components of the accounts to grow the assets with it. And if you're able to uh, sort of leverage your current high tax bracket with a theoretically lower tax bracket well into the future, uh, that's the point of an IRA to Roth conversion. Uh, and so that's a okay, tool that a lot of... Uh, yeah, go ahead. I just want to go into that a little bit more because I, you need to just think through that. I know there was, as part of the CARES Act, there was um, some relief around taking distributions out of your IRA. Uh, I don't know if that's particularly just, you know, to help you uh, overcome a financial hardship, but does that feature in at all? Uh, so, I, it, great question, because I actually was talking to someone about this specifically. Uh, the, I think the concept is that uh, the limit is up to $100,000, where you could take it out without mm. penalty, and I believe you have to right. pay it back within three years, uh, okay. if I remember correctly. So, uh, it's not sort of a tax-free... First of all, you have to prove some mm -hmm. sort of COVID uh, nexus, meaning that you were hurt, okay. Okay. hurt by COVID. Um, now, I'm sure that's fairly broad, although we don't know the particulars of what that looks like yet. But um, I, I think it's sort of a larger schema to take money out. Um, you know, it's funny you should mention it. I, one of the concepts was the idea of uh, sort of taking $100,000 out and replacing that 100000 with low basis stock. And I, they, mm -hmm. they don't let you, they don't, I don't think they let you do that. That's uh, okay. Um, All right. So, so that aside, so I'm taking money out of my IRA. Uh, it's a distribution. So I pay tax now uh, on seemingly a lower tax rate because if tax rates are going higher right. uh, and then I roll it into a Roth, uh, the concept with the Roth is that my, my, I have to use after tax income going into a Roth, but it compounds tax free and it comes out tax free. Is that right? Correct. That's right. Okay, so, so the the idea is tax rates will be a lot higher when it starts to come out, and so I'm putting I'm, I'm paying less tax now and taking it out at, at a more tax. Okay, advantageous. Yes. Uh, That's I right. Think, I think so I get it. No, yeah. so you're right. You're, you're you're arbitraging essentially a let's call it a medium tax rate now for a lower tax rate later. Uh, yeah even without the increase in tax rates, people are doing it because the supposition is that when you retire and you have less income, uh, you're going to be at a lower tax rate. You're in a low bracket. Yeah. So, so that mm, could be, okay. even, that, that could be magnified now if income tax rates go up uh, as a general matter. Okay. I think I got that. All right. Keep, keep going. Great. Uh, okay. So again, uh, another usual suspect is the idea of loss harvesting. Uh, for a lot of people, uh, the volatile markets have created red brackets in their statements. Uh, mm -hmm. Never mm -hmm. fun, but at the same time, this might be the year to uh, really concentrate on that as a matter of course. Uh, and if there are losses to take in the, uh, in the world of diversification as part of your overall investment plan, uh, that's something to offset against uh, capital gains, uh, both this year and next year. Uh, and I would say okay. especially next year, uh, because uh, if the thought is that capital gains rates may increase, that might be something to uh, to carry over and, and to uh, use uh, as appropriate. Uh, other tools, uh, most people- so, uh, Sorry, once again, so take losses <laughs> now, uh, take, deduct what you can, carry them forward, 
and okay, allow them to be used against future capital gains. Exactly. And so that, that's really yeah. just sort of taking, it, it, that's in a way sort of, uh, that isn't really using anything as far as tax policy so much as you're taking advantage of uh, volatile markets created by the COVID yeah. environment. You're crystallizing a loss this year. That's right. In other words. Exactly. Okay. Uh, other uh, uh, other facets, uh, 1031 exchanges, um, mm-hmm. the tried and true for people who uh, have used them for um, uh, tried and true for people who use them for real estate. Uh, again, that's that's what they're there for. Again, I think that the volatile nature of market values, uh, if you're able to uh, sort of sell something that you understand or have an edge in now and maybe pick up something that is uh, uh, has a more depressed value from a real estate perspective. If you have that edge and able to understand that and understand from a real estate perspective, I think there's some interesting opportunity now, uh, along the same vein, opportunity zones, something I haven't really, I'm not really a gigantic fan of. I think they have, uh, they're, they're less useful now because there's certain timeframes that, um, that really made Mm -hmm. them advantageous a year or so ago. Um, so they're less powerful now than they were before, but as a way to take gain from low basis, uh, stock or something like that and move them into, uh, government sanctioned programs. Uh, Mm -hmm. I, I think the power of those, uh, from a gain, uh, delay perspective is, is a little bit muted right now, but it's a, definitely a tool to have in mind. Uh, and for those people who think they can get involved in a real estate project uh, at the low end, um, this might be a time to, to take a look at it. Uh, I, I, for people okay. who have tech holdings in particular, where those have held up really well, and you may have low right. basis in Google or something like that, uh, that may be an interesting thing to revisit uh, as a way to, in a sense, I don't want to say lock in the gains because if you're going from a tech stock to a real estate uh, investment in a distressed place, you're not really lowering your risk any. You're just changing it. Uh, but, from a, for, but from a tax perspective, there may still be some benefit there. Okay, we'll, we'll def- defer <laughs> the uh, opportunity zone discussion for a little bit later because I got I got a few points I want to make on that. Sure. Um, before we move on, I know you want to speak about uh, estate planning. Sure. Um, a, few, a few things. I know you spent a, a lot of time in Houston dealing with Texas-based clients. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that there's been a real, what do we call it, kind of a nuclear winter as far as natural gas and um, and fracking and all that is con- concerned. You know, is there any play there from the perspective of picking up an asset and using the, deplet- the depletion uh, as as a deduction and ordinary income or something like that, is there any angles that you can conceive of there? Okay, yeah, great question. So the natural gas and depletion um, rates uh, for uh, various fields, whether it's oil, natural gas, other natural resource type plays, uh, that's that's a program that exists. I think that um, again, I when things are tied to a commodity level um, that, that can be a little bit scary um, because, mm-hmm. you know, as uh, you know, natural gas drops in price, oil is all over the place. Um, that's something I, I think you have to really walk, walk into that with your eyes open and, and have someone really intelligent at your uh, uh, right next to you when you're dealing with that. Yeah. Uh, to do that from yeah. a pure tax perspective, I think is, is probably, not that's not what I would be up to um, uh, 
to sort of advise clients on that. I'd, I'd want them to have some, uh, I guess I'd want them to have some real understanding of what's in play uh, in dealing yeah. with natural yeah. gas. No, interests. no, it was a, it was a curveball. I, I agree with you. I think the investment thesis is paramount in, in something yeah. like that. Just thinking that there may be distressed opportunities to, you know, roll high basis, whatever. And okay. Uh, then the, uh, okay. Why don't we deal with some estate planning, um, you, you want to break your answer into two sections. Right. So the, I, I would preface this by saying this is the best estate planning environment I've ever seen by far. Uh, and hmm. for a variety of reasons. Uh, the first one is that uh, the federal exemptions are the highest they've ever been. Uh, well, I mean, absent there not being an estate tax. Yeah. Uh, it's 11.2 yeah. million per person. Uh, and this this is set to sunset in 2025. So for a married couple, you're able to uh, sort of either gift or pass through a state tax exempt about $22.4 million. So th this is from a federal level, this is great. Uh, we talked a little bit about low interest rates. Uh, low interest rates are one of the great tools that estate planners have to maximize the leverage with which they do their planning. Uh, and there, I'll get into that in a second, but low interest rates mean that the planning that you like to do for a variety of reasons, this is all sort of IRS sanctioned as well. They put out an applicable federal rate. Uh, I believe it's in the low ones uh, in August. Uh, that's the lowest I can ever remember it being. Uh, we have low valuations. So the volatility that is depressed values of people's holdings creates lower valuations. That means that you have more leverage to move those assets to the next generation if you so choose. And so if you have a $10 million asset that's worth $8 million right now because of COVID or a variety of other factors, uh, you're able to use less of your $11.2 million exemption, getting it to the next generation. So there's a little bit of leverage. Uh, uh, you know, never let a good crisis go to waste, they say. Uh, from an estate planning perspective, this is a good time to do it. Yeah, uh, I am curious about that point. And again, not to challenge it, challenge it too heavily, but yep. you know, with the, the swiftness that the market has bounced back, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm quite involved with some private market assets and um, you know, some of them took some, some haircuts in, back in March. And most of them, again, these are illiquid assets, are already back to par or slightly below par. So I'm not, you know, very selectively, I think you've got a 10 million asset trading at 8 million, maybe a retail shopping mall or something in the epicenter. But I think by and large, um, a lot of asset value has been unscathed to date. So that, uh, again, Absolutely right. I mean, if you're looking at the stock market uh, as a proxy for some of these things, and obviously with private investments, that's that's extremely dangerous. But uh, if as a proxy, it has snapped back substantially. Um, I think if you're rolling into a second wave of COVID uh, and unmet yeah. expectations, uh, totally get granted. Yeah, there are. I th that's something I would be looking at uh, as okay. as it relates to valuation. And for those people who have those businesses where they really <clears throat> understand the edge that they have uh, and that it's less sort of pandemic uh, sensitive. Uh, it, it, those are the people I think that should really be looking at it from an estate planning perspective saying, you know, I, okay. I, I feel like there's the value is in, is intrinsically more than the market 
which is sort of emotionally being battered with uncertainty is reflecting, mm -hmm. uh, maybe this is the time to think about uh, estate planning concepts. Um, yeah. Uh, again, uh, the exemptions, which are high, as I just described, those are probably uh, in the crosshairs uh, for any future federal estate tax tax increases. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Rich people are powerful, but they are also small in number. So if you hit them, uh, you're not losing that many votes. Um, mm -hmm. And so that's something that's going to be an issue. Uh, I think there are significant state arbitrage opportunities in the estate planning world. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about New York, which has something called the estate tax cliff. So there's a federal estate tax. And then some states like New York have the state estate tax. Uh, and the way New York's is set up is that uh, when you get to about 5.6 million in net worth, so forget about the 11.2 million federal exemption in New York, when you get up to uh, 5.6 million, below 5.6 million, you do not pay an estate tax currently. Once you get to 5.6 million, it goes back to dollar zero. So as soon as you cross that threshold, you're on the hook for about $200,000 in state estate tax. So uh, as I tell people who are New York residents uh, and you are sort of in that 5 million range or you're at 6 million, it's time to have a deeper discussion because uh, mm -hmm. if you can find a way to either get below that threshold uh, or move or uh, start your estate planning uh, in a different capacity, uh, you avoid setting $200,000 on fire essentially. So, um, uh, when people, you know, talked a little bit about the flow of people talking about, uh, different concepts and, you know, is it popular? Uh, I do reach out to people who are in New York saying, look, uh, have you, a, what is your net worth? But B, have you thought about this from a state perspective? Mm -hmm. And if mm -hmm. you are going to be moving anyway, why not get that ball rolling? Because at the state level, there are uh, different scenarios that you need to be aware of that could be potentially expensive and really pretty avoidable. Uh, so anyway, and, you know, to sort of take that times 50, there are different states that don't have estate taxes and mm -hmm. um, uh, people arrange their affairs and use trusts to move assets out of their name and all sorts of other tactics. Uh, but anyway, so that's, that's something that's, uh, that, that needs to be thought of, especially if you're in a high tax state and especially if you haven't looked at your will or your trust situation, uh, in a little while and your circumstances are changing. Uh, there is a great set of, uh, components, uh, in terms of using charity. A lot of people toward the end of their lives as they're establishing their legacies, uh, they're, they set up foundations. Those can be very tax advantageous for a lot of reasons. Mm -hmm. uh, you can put uh, a, a low basis stock in, into those scenarios, or you can donate low basis stock. That's a way to avoid capital gains if you were going to be using charity anyway. Uh, a variety of different structures where you can take income or principal from trusts that ultimately have a charitable benefit. So you get the you get a tax angle and some control of your assets. And it's a great way to both do good and uh, protect yourself uh, as well. Uh, and finally, uh, getting back to sort of low interest rates, uh, lots of different techniques uh, that uh, use those um, uh, from a trust perspective. But one angle that often doesn't get thought of, but I think is interesting, is the use of intrafamily loans. Um, you know, from a governance perspective, the idea of giving people, uh, giving kids money, 
uh, sort of sight unseen um, or without any preparation. Many people are scared of that and rightfully so. Mm -hmm. They don't want to create trust fund kids. The one thing that I think is underused in a lot of planning is the intrafamily loan. With, uh, With interest rates as low as they are, uh, you can structure a loan at one to two or even three percent completely on board with the uh, IRS using the applicable federal rate that they provide. Uh, it's a way to shift money to kids uh, with some string attached so that they feel some obligation to pay back that loan with interest and it's a transaction mm-hmm. that works. And that gives you time. Also, you can forgive the loan. You can do all sorts of different planning later on if you want to. Um, and you know, there, there may or may not be consequences depending on how you structure it from a tax perspective, but the intrafamily loan is something that I think, uh, is both, uh, easy, easy to document, um, solves a couple different problems in terms of getting assets to the next generation, but also creates some, uh, the idea of, uh, kids, uh, learning to live with debt and what that means yet have it in a low, uh, a low stress environment as opposed to dealing with the bank. Um, right. so you can kill, you can, you can kill some estate planning birds with, with a stone there, but also, uh, deal with some family governance, uh, family concepts governance. as well. Interesting. Uh, I just want to, I'm sorry, please finish. Your no, no, I, a um, long monologue. I, I hit a lot. <laughs> okay, no, 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 no. It's all, I'm really am uh, interested in, in taking it in. The New York State uh, estate tax, the 200 grand that you spoke about, uh, um, over 5.2 million, is that just a flat? fee or is it actually, you know, on a grading scale or how does it work? You know, it's, so it, it, it scales up. So uh, it's okay, zero, zero up to 5.6. I think that's right. Um, and then okay. there, then there's a graduated scale up to 10%. Uh, and, but it starts back at dollar zero once you creep over that 5.6 level. So uh, if you stay in New York and you don't you know, say you're worth $50 million, you're, you're going to be part of a percentage scheme and there's going to be very little you can do to get out of that besides move. Uh, but for those people who are kind of teetering on the edge and they're thinking, well, I'm going to retire to Florida or I'm going to do whatever, eh, that's from a pure estate tax perspective, uh, that's when it's really worth sort of investigating your options. Got it. Front. Got it. So if you're on the cusp, it's really worth your while. I think so. Okay. Terrific. Um, let's uh, take a breather so we can absorb all of this uh, wealth of uh, fountain of knowledge that Fraser <laughs> has imparted. And uh, we'll come back and we'll talk about some specific, um, let's say, investment uh, slash tax alpha opportunities. Great. Right. 